and welcome to the Kids Planet Podcast. An opportunity to explore the highs and lows of raising under fives. Here are your hosts from the Kids Planet marketing team, Sarah Murphy and Emma Palowski. Hello and welcome to this month's podcast, where we are joined by Tanya Diggory, founder of training organisation Karma, to discuss all things mental health in both adults and children. Hi Tanya and welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you here. Um, If you wouldn't mind just starting by giving our listeners a bit of background info on yourself and how you've ended up in this line of work, that would be fab. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Sarah and Emma, for having me here today. It's lovely to be here. So I started Karma as a result of my own experience, actually, with struggling with mental health. Um, So about sort of around 2013-14 time, I was running two businesses concurrently, which you can kind of guess that would come with a bit of stress. And um, yeah, I was sort of going through a period of really high stress and just sort of pushing it to the side and just keeping going, going, going and, you know, just like plodding along and um, it got too much basically eventually and my body was just like you've reached your limit I ended up burning out I went through a period of depression and then anxiety attacks on and off for about a year and that was sort of a really big wake-up call for me um, in understanding and appreciating the real importance of mental health for our well-being and um, especially as busy professionals when you have so many responsibilities on your shoulders etc and you're juggling so much so through that recovery was what really set me on a new trajectory I was in a very different industry before I was running my own dance school and an international dance events company oh, wow. and then yeah so very different and then I ended up retraining in this space of mental health through, um, you know, training as an NLP practitioner, mindfulness teacher, uh, mental health trainer through Mind the Mental Health Charity, and also as a mental health first aider. So the first year of setting up Karma really was just sort of um, researching to find out what people needed in the professional space. Um, So I, I felt there was just really this need in the business world for there to be a platform that said, it's okay if you're struggling, if you are, it's a normal human experience, and this is what you can do to help yourself. So that was sort of the goal really behind setting up Karma, helping initially entrepreneurs, freelancers, startups, people who were in a similar position to me at the time where I was running my own business and was just really struggling with juggling so many things. And then in time, it's kind of grown and expanded. And um, now we support small to medium businesses primarily and and also larger businesses where needed um, on, you know, mental health training, how to implement, um, you know, a mental health strategy within your organization long term and a policy and, you know, just making sure that people really embed within their working culture um, the and, and prioritize, you know, the importance of looking after your mental health and well-being and having open ease, you know, sorry, open with eased conversations about it. Um, mm. So that's really the goal with it. Lovely. Well, it sounds like a really useful platform. So just to start things off today, um, we often hear from parents who are feeling really burnt out. What do you find are some of the tips and techniques to tackle this? Yeah, so burnout's a a complex one because we hear a lot about stress and burnout and and they're they're sort of different really in terms of how they manifest um, because stress is something that we all have. You know, every single one of us um, has a stress response in the brain. It lives in the part of the brain called the amygdala, which is also referenced as the center of the brain. So when you go through something that's, um, you know, dangerous or threatening or stressful, like this part of the brain fires off to sort of kick into gear to keep you safe and away from danger. So, you know, you might have heard of that fight, flight or freeze response before. And that's the kind of automatic mode we go into as human beings to, to like look after ourselves when we go through a stressful situation. And Mm. there are certain situations that are 
um, you know, helpful to have that prompt, like if you are in a dangerous situation that you need to get out of. But also in our modern day living, stress can manifest in lots of little ways. Like if you have a really annoying email that comes through your inbox and you're like, oh, I don't want to deal with this now. And why are they writing it like that? Why have they put caps locks and <laughs> you know, and then you, you sort of feel that stress build up in your body. And so there are lots of ways that it manifests and we need to manage stress levels. So when stress escalates at a high level, over long periods of time that are unresolved, then that's when it can escalate into high fluctuations of anxiety, mood issues, and eventually burnout, which is the result of mental, physical, and emotional exhaustion, um, where you're feeling like almost like a car running with no fuel. There's just, there's nothing left to give. So the way that burnout manifests, um, we've actually got a blog about this, um, which um, if you go on our website, this is karma.com, it's called The Five Stages of Burnout. And it takes you through these kind of, you know, different stages of how stress does manifest, does build, and then ends up being, you know, burnout, essentially. Um, and, and it's sort of, it can be subtle over time, but it, and it can build up over a long period of time. Or for some people, it can be quite, you know, um, quite instantly stressful if like an unexpected event for example happens in your life and then like suddenly you know um dealing with that and what that means um and and how that that builds and develops so um it can you know manifest in terms of anxiety you know struggling to focus um lacking in good quality sleep which really affects how you feel the next day and how you behave um lower productivity levels it can escalate into sort of increased caffeine consumption or alcohol consumption you know if it's getting to that sort of chronic stress level um mm -hmm. you know sort of apathy towards your work and then with burnout it really is those marked changes stress levels into like behavioral changes chronic levels of you know um health issues self-doubt isolation you know it can manifest in lots of ways so I would recommend you know taking a read of that blog if that's of interest and there are lots of ways that you can um, manage burnout um, it's not an easy thing to do it, it you know it can manifest in different ways for different people um, but the first step really is just to give yourself permission to stop because I think that's sometimes the hardest thing that we can do as human beings nowadays especially as busy professionals busy parents you know when you've got so much going on in your lives to actually give yourself that chance to just stop pause take a beat and I mean even just if it's 10 minutes and even that can feel like a struggle sometimes I appreciate but in the grand scheme of things we can all afford to give ourselves that time it's just like how we prioritize other things in our days you know so the point is if it keeps going at a high level and becomes habitual then you know it's going to end up being a point when you might need to take time off work or take time off you know mm. to get better so it's trying to prevent that from from happening so stopping to give yourself that pause to recognize what's going on for you um you know mindfulness-based techniques um which we might go into a bit later today um you know and, and meditation-based practices are you know wonderful for helping us to reduce stress levels and it's been scientifically proven that there's a lot of physio physiological and mental health benefits to that but also the value of a support network is absolutely vital so it's not something that we have to just struggle with alone you know if we're feeling like we're in a space of burnout where we're just really really struggling we're feeling exhausted mm -hmm. everything is a real struggle um you know reach out for help to someone you trust talk about it because that that letting go that opening up that sharing um you know in itself in your body is having a difference it's making a difference it's, it's starting to shift and change things where 
you're you're allowing yourself that space um to be you know and and to actually tap into what you really need rather than just keeping going you know so um as another resource I'll share we've got something on our website as well called the reignite project and that is a burnout prevention campaign that we actually won an award for a few years ago and um and that is all about helping professionals to prevent burnout and you can receive a 10 week free e-course on burnout prevention strategies so I'd recommend doing that it's free to sign up it's just it's our big giving back campaign that everything we do is underpinned by oh that sounds amazing thank you um is there is this something that parents may see in children as well this burnout um and are there signs particular signs to look out for in children that might be different um to what you see in adults or working professionals etc I can't comment too much on this just because I don't specialise particularly in children's mental health and that is a whole other area of specialty. However, um, one thing that's kind of true across the board as human beings is noticing marked changes in behaviour. So, um, you know, getting to know obviously your, your children's habits, their routines, what's kind of the norm for them is really important and, and understanding that sense of norm helps make it a bit easier to identify where there might be a need for support, where there might be those changes in behaviour. So, you know, if they're usually very chatty, um, you know, got a lot of energy, um, if they if they talk a lot about, you know, their feelings or if they want to chat just generally, and then they notice, you know, they notice they're being very quiet, um, very withdrawn perhaps, um, or fluctuating in their moods, you know, that could be an indication that there's something's going on there. Um, and I will say that, you know, children are very honest, right? There's there's not really a filter there. <laughs> they kind of they kind of share and yeah. you know will yeah be be quite honest about what they're thinking. So um but they also need a safe space if they're going through something difficult, of course. So you know making sure that consistently it's communicated to them that if there's anything they're bothered about, if there's anything they're going through, if there are any, any changes they're going through, that they can always talk to you as parents um, and, you know, as, as people that they trust and that they know love them unconditionally. Um, so that, you know, if you do notice or if, if parents do notice those changes in their children's behaviour, that, you know, it's opening up that space for, for discussion about how they're really feeling so I don't think you can ever reinforce enough um, to a child how much they're loved and you know how much you're there for them and that if there's anything they need you know to talk to you about it um, and you know making that time and I appreciate that's difficult as busy working parents as well and um, just where you can making those pockets of time um, to really yeah. you know spend time with the children when they're you know after school and things like that where, wherever possible even if it's just like micro bits of time here and there just to really have those touch points and reassurance um you know of the love that you have for them and, and that you're there for them etc you know particularly when it comes to if there's an issue the child wants to discuss yeah brilliant and I was going to ask you know how how should a parent kind of approach the subject but I think you've kind of touched on that just to be open is that right just open that communication yeah I think you know children children like routine right they like consistency so um you know, that, that sort of stability is as much as possible um, and, and openness and honesty, you know, children do really respond well to that. So, um, you know, even if you are going through busy periods, you know, just reassuring your child that, you know, even if I'm really busy at the moment, you know that if there's something you need, like you come first. And it's that, you know, the language we say, the words that we say as human beings, they, they are very powerful. They have a lot of meaning. And, you know, for children, especially at that 
in the early stages of their lives, you know, where their brains are developing all the time, you know, they're, they're learning from their environment, what they hear, what they see, what they read. So, you know, you can't ever reinforce enough, really, you know, how much, like I said before, that, that you're there for them, that you love them and, and showing mm. that if they really need you that you do put something down or put something aside and give them eye contact. You know, there's a lot to be said for body language, you know, and how we, like, it's one thing to say, yeah, I'm here for you. And you're looking at your screen still while talking yeah. to your child, you know. So just, it's little things like that, but that will really make a difference. Like literally turn to them, look away from whatever you're doing, give them eye contact, smile, you know, open body language. Yeah. Because the, the way that we communicate as human beings, actually something like, 93% of how we communicate is through our body language and tone of voice, you know, rather than just the words that we say. So there's there's a lot to be said for that too. Yeah, that's really, really useful. Thank you. And you did touch on mindfulness earlier. So I wanted to come back to that. What do you find are the benefits of meditation and mindfulness for the whole family? Oh, so many benefits. Um, and, you know, if you can sort of teach your children um, sort of mindfulness-based techniques as early on as possible, then, you know, that can help them feel like they can embed it, you know, through their years as they get older, um, which can really help them to manage stress levels, you know, and understand a little bit more about stress and how, you know, how it sort of interacts with the body. Um, so just a brief overview, mindfulness is a sort of um it's a it's a meditation based practice but also it's just a a general practice where you're focusing on being present and in the moment so it's actually heightening your sense of self-awareness mm. um, in your mind in your body and in your environment but what's really crucial is it's adopting an attitude of curiosity and kindness to yourself without judgment so actually if you think about all those tools that apply within mindfulness-based practice that can only benefit young people as well as adults you know um so you know whether it is breathing techniques, whether it is practicing, you know, eating a little bit more mindfully, slowing down. If it's when you're going out for a walk, you look up a little bit more yeah. just down or at your phone or whatever, you know, and, and look at your surroundings and see what's around you and and marvel at the beauty around you. Because there's so much to be said for appreciating the small day-to-day -day things. And I think we all appreciate that a little bit more during lockdowns, perhaps during the COVID-19 pandemic where... Yeah, I'd say that was true. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, you know, when things were restricted that bit more, um, we did focus more on the little things, I think. Um, but yeah, and, uh, you know, whether it's doing a, a sort of creative doodling exercise, there are lots of ways that you can practice mindfulness. But what I will say about breathing techniques and, and practicing sort of meditation-based um, mindfulness, which you can do as a family together, or you could practice, um, you know, a bedtime for your children when they're about to go to sleep and do it together as like a little activity to enjoy. Um, you can also make it fun and, you know, introduce characters and things like that. But um, with breathing, what's happening is, of course, we breathe every day. You know, it's important to survive as human beings, but how we breathe makes a big difference in terms of how we feel and how we behave. So um, when you take deep inhales of breath, what we call conscious breathing, where you're choosing to focus on your breath and slowing it down, particularly if you're feeling anxious, this is incredibly beneficial. Um, just generally, if you get into a habit of it, it really helps to manage stress levels. And not only does it expand your lung capacity, but it improves your respiratory system. Um, it actually helps, like I said before, to reduce stress because it's strengthening important connections in the brain that are linked to stress reduction. And um, it calms down your nervous system. You know, so if your nerves are feeling on edge, actually, so even just 30 seconds to a minute of breathing techniques, you'll notice things start to calm down. Um, and, you know, there have been amazing studies um, to show like a brain 
brain scan, for example, of somebody who had a lot of neural activity going on in their brain before doing a meditation practice. And then after just 10 minutes of meditating, the neural activity in their brain had halved, you know, and it reduced so much and just calmed down. And, you know, there wasn't as much going on and then it was more focused on just being present being in the moment and um reducing mm. like those active stress levels as well so um yeah like there's a lot to be said for doing that as a family as individuals as well um you know there's a lot of really great books that are being written nowadays for children as well around mindfulness and being present and being you know kind and considerate of other people um so perhaps you know parents could consider looking into um, into that and then combining that with a bedtime story doing a little mindfulness activity together or something like that yeah there's actually so many lovely little books like that out there now I've bought a few for my son and it's just nice to read something that I mean he's very little at the moment but something that might have an impact on him as he grows older mm. we um I think me and Sarah we see so much nice activity in the nurseries and they're yeah. so good at implementing mindful activities I always think how can I do it at home and it's talking to people like you and you realise maybe we already are, which is lovely. Yeah, absolutely. And also just, you know, if your child feels upset about something, you know, like talking to them on a level where, you know, you're trying to, it's almost like, you know, you sort of, you speak to them on a level where you're trying to bring them back down to that, okay, you know, let, let's take a step back, you know, so rather than getting overwhelmed and in the moment, because like I said, in our brains as human beings, we, we when we link to that stress response in the brain, we, brain, we instantly get into that five flight or freeze mode and, oh my gosh, like, do I either take action? Do I do something or do I walk away or do I freeze? I feel stuck. I don't know what to do. And those are the kind of responses that we go through. So when we create a little bit of space, it actually helps us tap into our logical thinking more. And obviously for a child, their brain is still developing in many ways, you know, um, right, yeah. right the way up to 18. But as an adult, you know, you can help them learn the practice of taking a step back from stress, you know, from something that's overwhelming, from something that's upset them, you know, let them feel whatever they feel. That's really important, you know, to validate date feelings and you know teaching teaching children that you know what you feel is valid and real to you because everyone feels things in different ways but let's take a moment let's take a pause let's take a step back and then almost practicing breathing with them when they're feeling overwhelmed let's just take a breath together and you know try and encourage them to to breathe you know properly <laughs> as easy as that may sound right I know this isn't always isn't always straightforward and then just but it's it's a, pra a practice at the end of the day anything that's mindfulness based it is a practice it's not something that's a quick fix and is just going it happens yeah. straight away but it's something to just embed or instill as an idea and then you never know like over time you know you might notice your child starts to go you know they just start to practice a little breathing technique or they they talk about having a bit of space you know or something like that yeah. before like um you know reacting to something but yeah it's it's a it's a lovely idea I appreciate that doesn't always happen <laughs> with children especially <laughs> if they're in a in a bit of a state <laughs> no definitely I think um talking about it as like practice is really helpful as well I think that building a foundation as well talking about myself now as my son gets older I think it's the little things that maybe I wouldn't notice when I'm if I wasn't doing this podcast I learn a lot from it it's amazing mm. well, I can imagine definitely <laughs> <laughs> um but moving on slightly now um you talk a lot about mental resilience within your training and mm. um, can you tell us what that is and how people can practice it yeah absolutely so resilience is what you essentially develop um, in the face of adversity you know so when you go through challenges 
times of change, adversity, difficulty. Resilience is what you build and grow as a result of that. You know, it's it's not just how you bounce back from difficult situations and how you pick yourself up, but it's also how you learn to adapt um, and make a few shifts and changes in, in relation to what you've been through. So, you know, it's almost like adopting that mindset like if I was to go through that again then what would I do differently next time and mm. you know that kind of thing but there are lots of ways to build resilience um, and mindset tools and techniques and like I say it's very different to um, children's mental health versus adults mental health you know for adults we can tap into different types of logical based thinking you know whereas children are learning so so much you know over those early years and into adult years um, but but what I will say is that children do, their, their minds, their brains are like sponges, right? They look around them to the adults around them, to the influences they have in their lives, to people to teach them about what resilience means and how to handle stress. You know, that that can carry through into their adult years, absolutely, that influence. So um, in terms of how we build resilience, it's asking ourselves those kind of questions as well. So, you know, when you've been through a really difficult time, um, first of all, really acknowledging how you feel is very important rather than just like pushing things down to, um, to the surface. Because, you know, if you don't talk about things, if you don't acknowledge things, if you don't bring them up to the surface um, or write about it, whatever is helpful for you, it doesn't go away. It just stays and it manifests somehow in the body, physiologically, mentally, psychologically, you know, emotionally, and it will come up in outbursts until it's sort of resolved. So when you've been through something really difficult, it's so important to process that in some way for yourself, whether it's speaking to someone, whether it's writing things down, you know, whether it's, you know, opening up in a in a group of friends or family whatever it is um but just having some way to process for some people it could be creativity as well like you know and every creative means um but also just asking yourself then you know after acknowledging how you feel is uh you know so what would I do differently next time what have I learned from this situation what have I learned about myself you know what strengths have I learned um and and you know acknowledging things like that is what helps us to grow in our inner strength essentially which is what resilience is so you, you build a little bit more armor you build a bit more strength each time you go through something that knocks you sideways and then you pick yourself up but you learn to um, adapt and and shift with that as well I hope that makes sense <laughs> yeah no definitely thank you and obviously with your training what kind of are the most common mental health issues that people report and are there any kind of common triggers that tend to bring them on I mean, there can be so many different triggers, whether it's externally or internally. So external circumstances, events that happen or internally, you know, experiences that we've been through in the past as human beings and that still resonate or are still affecting us today. Mm -hmm. you know? um, so it really is quite far and wide. Um, in terms of common mental health conditions, um, we hear quite commonly um, about depression and anxiety, right? It's becoming more and more um, widely known and talked about um, and and the reality is that yeah they're incredibly common um, it's it's part of the human experience really to experience feelings of depression or feelings of anxiety when you go through something difficult um, initially there are signs and symptoms that your body sends you as a signal to pay attention to when something doesn't feel right you know like if you're mm -hmm. feeling low mood for example feeling withdrawn feeling disengaged feeling like you socially want to disconnect and just retreat and pretend you know whatever's happening isn't happening and you just go into yourself um or if you're feeling anxious overwhelmed if you feel worried you feel tense in your body you feel shaky or you know nauseous you know, those anxious symptoms so actually whether we realize it or not or name it or not as, hum as human beings um 
actually experiencing a state of poor mental health and feeling depressed or feeling quite anxious that's very universal you know like we can all feel those things from time to time and that's part of the human experience but you know it doesn't mean that you have a diagnosed mental health condition um depression and anxiety manifest on a mild to moderate to severe level right it depends on the individual as to how they experience depression or anxiety but initially if you strip it right back feelings of depression or anxiety are very common um and you know Sometimes it's appropriate to feel those things. You know, if you've been through um, a relationship breakdown, for example, if you've lost someone close to you or, um, you know, if you're going through health issues or whatever it is, there are so many things that can create those feelings and they could manifest into a deeper state um, or a diagnosed condition of um, depression or anxiety, or it could be something that you experience over a period of time and then um, recover from. So um, it's very complex and there's no one size fits all when it comes to mental health and how we experience it. But the key thing here is that we all do have mental health. It's a, it's it describes our state of mental well being, which can fluctuate. You know, just like we all have physical health and emotional health. And um, I think it's really important to acknowledge good mental health as well. And that's something we talk about at Karma um, a lot. Uh, you know, we're a prevention based company. We offer prevention based training for you know professionals and workplaces, etc. Because um, we believe it's important that people don't get to crisis point before people actually take notice of mental health at work <laughs> you know so it's, yeah. it's about trying to understand it as much as you can and prevent things from escalating so um you know so also having those conversations about mental wellness and what does it mean to experience positive states of mental health and feeling confident in yourself and feeling happy and engaged and feeling gratitude and practicing contentment and all of those things which we also experience as human beings and and actually the more we open up those conversations the more normalized it can become to talk about mental health from different perspectives and not just when someone's struggling you know definitely it does feel like it has been a bit more normalized obviously since um the past couple of years with the lockdowns mm-hmm. um you did reference the impact of external unexpected events and um, mm. so we should touch on it really and um, how do you think the lockdown affected both um, adults parents and children um, mm. in terms of their mental health yeah definitely there's no doubt that it did um, have an impact for many people um, and actually interestingly a study by mind the mental health charity highlighted that around 60 percent of adults had cited that their mental health got worse as a result of lockdown and 68% of young people. So the evidence is there really. And and when you think about it, a lot of our basic human needs were sort of stripped back or restricted. You know, Mm. the need to connect with other people, which is a fundamental human need. We thrive on connecting with others, not just speaking to, but touching, feeling, hugging other people that we love. And being restricted with that was was very difficult and um, kind of goes against our our basic human need. Um, The need to have variety, the need to have routines and have different things to look forward to, you know, they, they say, and it sounds a bit cheesy now I say it, but the variety is the spice of life, right? Um, yeah. there's, there's a lot to be said for that. Um, so, you know, having things restricted so much kind of get, went against, you know, sort of our basic human needs. And so there's no doubt about, that, doubt about it that that would have had an impact. And, and of course, there is the flip side. And, you know, we've also heard a lot of people that said, you know, they gained so much more perspective. They appreciated a slow pace of life. They, you know, they became more grateful for what they do have, etc. So there is that flip side of you know it made us appreciate perhaps things a bit more 
but it did really have an impact. And, you know, women also felt disproportionately more affected by um, COVID-19 restrictions, particularly with balancing, you know, work and childcare and trying to strike that balance um, and feeling that pressure. So that also, you know, has come out in studies too. Um, a lot of people felt that they couldn't, you know, seek out help, um, whether it's literally that they were restricted in being able to access help, or also they felt their, their issues weren't serious enough. But, um at the same time, you know, it's easy for us to compare ourselves to other people and say, well, at least this didn't happen to me, or I should be grateful because this is a situation I'm in, or I shouldn't complain because, and it's so easy to fall into that pattern, but it makes no sense really when you think about it to compare ourselves to one another because it's all relative, and yeah. you know, and, and at the end of the day, if something's really bothering you on a persistent basis... And that can escalate into something more serious. And it's it's valid, it's real to you, and it's important to seek out help where you can. But again, that was another issue in terms of access to healthcare support and, you know, accessing um, counselling, for example, stuff like that, um, particularly in the NHS, um, where they were overwhelmed, you know, with everything going on. So um, there's a lot of... Uh, challenges you know that so many people face not to mention trauma and loss and you know that yeah. that level of challenge as well um but yeah we've just got to be kind to ourselves and you know try not to always expect so much of ourselves because it's also perfectly appropriate and fine to just feel what we feel and and move on from that you know yeah, I totally agree. And mm. you did touch on this, um, but lockdown also meant, you know, a lot of people were working from home. We've now got into a kind of pattern of working, like hybrid working, haven't we? Do you have any kind of tips for parents that are working from home to separate that work and home life? Yeah, absolutely. Hybrid working is um, certainly becoming more and more um, commonplace now. Um, and in terms of balancing work and home life, um, of course, it's difficult when you're trying to to balance that as a parent and you've got, you know, so many responsibilities and you're caring for your children as well. I mean, I think there's a responsibility here for workplaces to also be flexible for mm. the people who they employ, you know, because a lot of stress for parents can come from not having necessarily as supportive managers or understanding managers. Um, and, you know, that depending on what their workplace culture is like in terms of championing, you know, flexibility and balance around work, etc. So it varies from company to company. So I would say that does definitely play a part so if a parent is, is particularly challenged um, around being able to balance you know like their work responsibilities at home and looking after their children if they feel a strong stressor within that is coming from you know the workplace and not having that much flexibility then you know remembering that managers senior leaders have a legal duty of care to support their staff is really important and um if you don't feel you can talk to a manager, then speaking to someone else confidentially who you trust or, or speaking to HR, you know, that's what they're there for. Um, and, and I would say, you know, when you're working from home, just really trying to make the space that you work separate to the rest of your home area because you know having a separation is so important for your mental health and um, we, we need that kind of distinction between what is work and what is my sacred home life that I you know I treasure outside of work and when it's all in one space you know that there's a lot to be said for um you know creating that distinction and separating so even if it is you don't have a dedicated room for an office for example it's you know whatever area of the room it is you're working in you know investing in a good desk setup obviously a healthy from a health and safety perspective you know a good chair um a good setup um you know a nice surrounding you know add pictures add things in your workspace that 
that make you smile and bring you joy. It's, it's little things like that that also really help during a working day. Um, and then when you're finishing for the day, you know, really do switch off, like switch your computer off, literally. <laughs> um, you know, yeah. it to the side. Almost if you wanted to like put a cover over your desk, whatever works for you, just to be like, I didn't want to look at that area now. Like that is my only dedicated work area. And, and the evening is just for my children or my weekend is just for my family or whatever else I've got going on. Um, so whatever works for you. Um, also, for some people, they kind of appreciated having that distinction between commuting to work and if they don't have that now, you know, and they're working from home. Um, one of the books I've written with the support of my team is Karma's Working From Home, which is also on our website. And um, this is an accumulation of 2,000 hours of research and talking to our community and clients and, and getting like genuine feedback from people who work from home. Um, and this was actually written before the pandemic. So there you go. We saw it as a trend already and already writing about it. But one of the stories we share in that book is a couple who um, noticed that they were getting into unhelpful habits working from home and, you know, working really extra long hours, not really taking breaks, you know, working in their pyjamas, not really feeling that kind of mindset shift. Um, and so they they changed things up and they ended up um, to get ready for the day as if they were going to work, you know, and pretend that they had that kind of commute going on. So they would shower, get dressed, have breakfast, and then they would get their bags together, walk out the house, you know, um, say goodbye to each other um, and walk in separate directions um, around a few blocks as if they were walking to work. <laughs> like So they were still getting commuting. And, um, and then so they'd walk in separate directions. At the same time, they were getting exercise, they were getting fresh air, which is really important for your mental health, um, as well as your physical health. And then they'd both arrive at different times back to the house, go in, and it would almost like create a really powerful mindset shift that they had arrived at work and they were dressed for work as well. And that really helped them too. So I just, I love that story, but that's, that's written in detail in the book too. Um, so there are lots of ways that you can do that. Um, and yeah, I, I think, you know, discussing with your children as best you can, um, you know, to, to highlight the importance of, you know, when you do really need to work and they're at home from school, for example, or if there's still some stuff that you need to get done, um, you know, just just having open, honest conversations with your children, but, you know, maybe planning something to look forward to together at five o'clock or 5.30, or whatever it is, um, you know, six o'clock to, so that they know that that's prioritised as well. So yes, you may have your work that you're still getting done, but you're also showing that, you know, you're prioritising them by planning something fun, whether it's at bath time or whatever it is, you know, um, to do together. So they have that time with you too. Yeah, that's really good advice. I love that walking around the block. That's so funny. I, would, I wish I would have done that at the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, you still can if you're working. <laughs> well, yeah, maybe on my work from home days. But yeah, also it made such a difference to me actually when I moved my workspace. I didn't think it would ever have that much of an impact because I used to work from home one day a week anyway. But I think it made such a difference, you know, when we went to full time from home mm. um, and when I was working in my living room. I absolutely hated it and I thought mm. I wouldn't mind it but then when I moved upstairs it made the world of difference it was amazing I couldn't believe it yeah um, it, it is amazing yeah yeah um but anyway um we live in such a digital world now um could you describe digital overload to us um, and how that impacts on stress and anxiety day to day well the reality is is that our brains as human beings are taking in millions of bits of data per second that's just what it's like 
unconsciously taking in. We're not even aware fully of all the bits of data that it's taking in. And we we select what we pay attention to as human beings. If we were to take in everything our brain is taking in for us, it would be sensory overload, you know? So there's this is why we have like selective hearing, choosing, focusing on what we, we, we're doing at any given moment, um, you know, to, to really tune in to what we're doing. Um, and, you know, there's the sort of, that's the conscious thinking that we're tapping into. Um, and But unconsciously in the brain, it's it's taking in a lot of, a lot of things, a lot of the time for us. So it's already working very hard for us. And, um, you know, there's, there's a lot to be said for having breaks from digital, you know, um, stimulus. Um, but also to give our break, our brains a break <laughs> to actually, you know, take in everything that it's doing for us. Um, and and with social media, with emails, with the, uh, the wide variety of digital stimulus that we have nowadays, it's not actually really natural for us as human beings to be taking in so much information at one time. And so we can end up developing a sort of almost digital fatigue, you know, whether we're consciously aware of it or not, especially depending how much we're on social media, we're on our apps, we're on our messages, we're on our emails, because that's so much information for the brain to absorb. And one of my favorite phrase, phrases is, we're human beings, not human doings. <laughs> we're not we're not created to just be doing, doing, doing all the time like robots. We're not made like machines we we do need time to switch off to reflect to reassess how things are going and so there is so much stimulus around us all the time that we as human beings almost need to be the ones to put in boundaries because no one else is going to do that for you you know you need to work out for yourself what feels really tiring what feels quite mildly tiring you know where is the boundary for me like when is my cutoff time you know from when I'm online like where am I getting time away from TV or my computer, et cetera, from my apps and from, from my phone. Um, you know, when am I just in the moment? And that's, I think, another thing that was um, an outcome from the lockdowns and pandemic was, yes, we were on a lot of Zoom calls, <laughs> but also, um, you know, a lot of people sort of, when they were doing their daily walks, for example, you know, it kind of put us in this situation to also focus on other things outside of just the digital world, you know? Um, and, and of course, there is the the, uh, the flip side of that too. And for some people, it would have felt like an overconsumption. But it's just it's it's not necessarily natural for us to be well. It isn't natural for us to be switched on all the time. We we do need to to separate, but that needs to come from us. And and that's sometimes a hard decision, and it's difficult to work that out. But there's so much to be said for in real time, you know, and and appreciating the present moment and other things in your life that's outside of technology because it's, it's um a different dimension as well you know it, it's like it's, it's it's one dimensional and it's not necessarily um what also feeds our well-being in terms of you know heightening all the senses in terms of the touch and see and hear and you know we need that in-person experience as well as seeing people and yeah and things with our hands you know what I mean like getting creative and 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 doing the stuff that really brings us joy outside of, you know, the, the digital, um, you know, ways of communication. And, and don't get me wrong, we're incredibly fortunate to live in such a, a digitally switched on time, you know, and it's enabled businesses all around the world to still function, many businesses anyway, you know, through the pandemic, for example, or enable people to expand their client base and, you know, work with people in different countries, for example, you know, connected us with our families living in different countries. So there's so much benefit. But again, I go back to my point of boundaries. There just, there has to be cutoff times because it's too much for our brain to take in. And, and you know, studies have also shown like before sleep, you know, if you're still stimulated by messaging and watching you know things digitally 
um, before going to sleep, then it actually keeps your brain active for an additional hour. So even if you think you've, your head's hit the pillow and you're going to sleep, you're actually um, the neural activity in your brain is still very wired and it's not actually calming down to give you deep sleep for an extra hour. So you could be, you know, it could be impacting your sleep patterns as well. Yeah, that's so interesting. And I think we're all guilty of digital overload, aren't we? And I, yeah. I do sometimes notice that I'm on my phone just before bed and then I wake up <laughs> and I'm straight on my phone and yeah, you feel guilty, so don't done. you? It's you so don't... easily done. We've got to be kind to ourselves as well. Like, um, you know, I think it's just being aware, isn't it? And obviously the blue light filter helps, you know, to, you know, to to just it it, it make sure that we're not getting too much of that, you know, um, yeah. sunlight you know and um, before going to bed um but yeah it's just it's it's all about awareness and it's all about practice and you know some days we might have that even with all the knowledge in the world we might be like oh just on our phones before bed but the more we can be aware of it you know I, I for example I know people who put their phones in like a box or their digital like ipad whatever their digital stuff in a box like an hour or two before bed and just, oh, just really? <laughs> you know that's a really good idea yeah. and obviously you mentioned the importance of sleep on mental health mm. do you think there is an ideal kind of wind down routine and also an ideal morning routine hmm. I mean ideal is you know what you make of it as an individual yeah. of course but, <laughs> but yeah but there's definitely something to be said for that in terms of observing before bed and when we wake as having some sort of routine because as human beings we also do really thrive off routine we like you know having things that we we know we look forward to or we know that that is is part of um, what gives us a sense of control in our days you know things like that um but absolutely I mean if we look at our sleep time um as it's it's so crucially important without going off on a tangent here <laughs> um it's it's conducive to how we feel the next day in terms of our productivity, our concentration yeah. levels, how switched on we feel, our you know emotional regulation. There are so many benefits to having good quality sleep and how it impacts our day at work and with others, etc. The next day. So when we start to think of it in that way as well, you know we can really value that that routine before bed as a time to really wind down. So whether it's having a nice hot relaxing bath, whether it's um, you know, listening to calming music or a, maybe a guided meditation, whether it's reading, whether it's also just doing nothing a little bit and just perhaps mm. techniques before bed. But even if you just think of that, that one hour, even just an hour before bed, as I'm consciously choosing to wind down rather than thinking, right, you know, my bedtime, I want to go to bed at 11. So I'm going to go up at quarter to 11 and quickly rush and get to bed. You know, it's like, yeah. um, you know, see it more as like, a, okay, so I'm going to go up at 10 o'clock and I'm going to ease myself into a sleep state you know rather than being like quite wired and then trying to get to sleep um and then same for a morning routine I mean especially with hybrid working working from home you know we can look at that as a gift in the sense of especially if you were commuting before you you don't have that commute time now so why not use that hour in the morning to just do a self-care routine for yourself and I appreciate parents probably listening to this would be like yeah that's nice in theory Tanya but you know when you've got kids it's not necessarily <laughs> <laughs> um you know not necessarily a full hour perhaps but you know if you can wake up a little bit earlier or if you know you've got your kids into certain routine or you can just get you know if you have a partner and they can support whatever but just or even if it's certain times in the week might not be every day but it's just about honoring your body honoring your mind giving yourself that little burst of time in the morning to just connect to yourself to to who you are being present doing something perhaps you know that it's like a little activity that helps you connect with something you enjoy, whether it's something creative or whether it's reading or whether it's doing a, you know, a bit of exercise or something like that. That's just for you, because I do also really believe um, that, you know, 
self-care modalities and taking time for yourself is a selfless act. It's not selfish. And, and I do hear this actually a lot with the work I do from, from parents, from busy professionals that they feel guilty, you know, if they take time for themselves because they've got little ones that are relying on them. They've got all these other responsibilities. They've got their families, etc. But even if it's just micro bits of time here and there or once the kids have gone to bed or so, when, whatever it is, um, just little pockets of time. If you look at it like that, even just pockets of time for yourself and longer periods where possible, it not only helps you to reset, replenish your energy levels, you know, do something that's good for yourself and kind for yourself, downregulates that stress response. It helps you to be at your best for yourself, but it also helps you to be at your best for others around you. So it creates a positive ripple effect, you know. So again, it's all about a mindset shift when you think about it in that sense. It can help perhaps empower you to just take a bit of time for yourself here and there because then you can think, well, this is helping me feel more energized for my children. This is helping me feel more energized for my partner or for other people in my life, for my colleagues, you know. So it is about balance, but there's no clear cut one way to do this, of course, because all our lives are completely unique. So it's working out for yourself where you feel it makes sense and you can carve out that little bit of time or maybe let go of certain things as well. It is also about saying no sometimes if you've just been saying yes to so many things, you know, that that can also help. Definitely. Um, Tanya, our closing question was tips in practicing self-care and self-kindness daily. Um, but I think you've just covered that quite well. <laughs> so thank you. <laughs> no problem at all. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for your time and the amazing tips. Oh, um, absolute pleasure. I'm sure they'll be of much use to many of our listeners. I hope so. And I was also going to say, actually, um, on our website, if you go onto our blog page, there's a search function. Um, and if you put self-care in that, um, or you just just scroll through our blog, there's um, a blog that we've got actually about creating a self-care plan. So that might also be helpful for you as well. Oh, wonderful. Thanks. Brilliant. Thanks so much. No well, do, do join us again for another episode of All Things Early Years. Thanks for joining us and to our guest today. Tune in next month. And in the meantime, pop over to our website and follow us on social media. Kids Planet, working together to inspire your world.